So we're talking about the five different scrolls that they read throughout the uh, different celebrations in Jewish and throughout the Jewish calendar. And today we're going to talk about the um, and next week we're going to talk about uh, their favorite holiday, uh, Purim. Uh, there's no good way to say this for for in church, but this is like Mardi Gras for the Jews. Um, it, it just is. Uh, they, most rabbis, actually all rabbis in that day would have told you um, it is not a good idea to have much wine. And then they would have added, except on Purim, and this is in, this is in the rabbinical commentaries, except on Purim, where you should drink until you can't tell the difference between blessed is Mordecai and cursed is Haman. So much so, that in Jewish culture today, they don't say Purim, they say can't tell the difference. That's the name, the, the old Jewish name for this holiday translates roughly to can't tell the difference. It's a day of celebration in a way that um, would make a lot of us very uncomfortable. And it happened, in, it happened throughout, uh, throughout the intertestamental period, which is uh, you, you know, you get to the end of Old Testament and you go to Malachi and then you turn and all of a sudden Jesus is being born. Well, there's like 350, 400 years between those two pages of stuff that we don't have in most of our Bibles. And uh, they, they have, but they celebrated this day. And the reason they celebrated this day is because they were spared. They didn't accomplish anything. They just didn't all die. And that was a pretty, that's a pretty big deal when you don't all die. Now, some of you who are students of the Bible know exactly what book I'm going to talk about when I say Mordecai and Haman. And if you don't know, that's fine. We love you too. But it's the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we hear this wonderful story about all these different complicated relationships happening uh, and uh, it essentially boils down to this. King Xerxes was a bit of a jerk. He had a party in which he had, he, 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 it was a, let's say it's a Purim style party. And uh, about two weeks into the party, he says, hey, to all his people, you know, you never know something, nothing's good coming whenever someone who's had a lot to drink, says, hey, you're right, hey, bring me my wife, because she's pretty, and everyone said, oh, well, okay, yeah, she said, hey, he wants to see you, and she says, no, that ain't happening, and he says, off with her head, and there she goes, like, she dies, um, the, the Bible, Esther actually says that when he comes to his senses and he's lonely, he decides, I probably shouldn't have killed my wife. Don't you just hate that regret? Kind of wish she was here now. I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it, it's not a good idea, obviously. Because now I'm, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just go get a lot of women and bring them to the house. And I'll spend time with quite a few of them. There's a Jewish woman named Hadassah. Now, Hadassah was living in um, a 
province of the Persian Empire called Susa. Most of the Jewish people in that time and that day were living in Susa. Uh, What had happened is that uh, the Babylonians, well, first the Assyrians had come in and carried off the northern kingdom of Israel. And then the Babylonians whooped up on the Assyrians and then came in and took uh, Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took took the king and all of the people back up to Babylon where they served as slaves. And then the Persians came in. Persians ruled just about everything. From Abraham's hometown all the way down to Egypt, we have this huge expanse of of the Persian Empire, and part of that was Susa, and most of Susa were Jewish. Israelite people who had been brought back from their hometown. Now, one of uh, the, the edicts was, Get all the pretty girls and bring them to the cat to the, the the palace, and they're supposed. And once they get here, they're going to go through a ritual, and it's going to be uh, beauty treat- treatments for quite a while. They're going to have perfumes put on them. They're going to be photoshopped and stuff, and then they will will get them looking straight so that way they can be presentable to King Xerxes because you know how he gets when he doesn't like what his wife is doing. He gets a little murdery, is the answer. So he, he is going to, he is bringing all these people in, and it turns out Hadassah, whose uh, Persian name was Esther. Hadassah, Esther comes in, and he, she's his favorite. Well, good for her. While all of that's happening, her her uncle, Mordecai, says, um, we, need, uh, we, we, we need to take care of you in your palace, but we also need to stand up for what we believe. And so when he's standing at the gates, this guy named Haman, who's from, from the Amalekites, and, uh, and Haman's from, uh, Mordecai's from the people of Saul, Real quick aside, do you remember that story when Saul uh, goes in and he and his job, he's told by God, go kill all the Amalekites, and he doesn't, and Samuel gets mad at him, and 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 Saul eventually ends up losing his kingship over that because God said kill all the Amalekites because they were rude to us when they came in. Not just rude, they picked off stragglers, they waited behind us, and when we were walking as a people, the people who were way back there, they just came in and killed them in the back. So go kill the Amalekites, and Saul doesn't do it. Now, here, several hundred years later, we got a descendant of Saul named Mordecai and a descendant of the Amalekites named Haman, and it's reversed. Haman's going to get them back. Because his people's history was wounded by um, Saul's people's history. Now, all of that, there's all this animosity, and Haman's strutting through town one day, like you do when you're second in command to a huge empire. Strutting through town, and Mordecai doesn't bow. Following a command of God, do not, you shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't bow down to Mordecai, or to Haman. So Mordecai stands upright, and Haman says, hey, you need to bow down to me. And Mordecai says, meh, 
Not going to happen. No, I, I only worship God. I do not worship you. I'll bow down to the, to the, the king, but I won't bow down to you. So Haman goes. He's pretty hurt. Goes to Xerxes and says, hey, I was thinking that maybe we should try a good genocide. Let's just, let's just kill all of those people because they're peculiar and they're not like us. And I don't like them. Xerxes seems to me to be the kind of person who says, okay, a lot. When his royal, uh, when his royal advisors said, well, you should probably kill your wife. Okay. He does, thankfully, he says okay to Esther later too. But Haman says, we should do this. Oh, yeah, might as well. Xerxes is a typical weak leader where he bows at every suggestion just to make people happy. So Xerxes says, yeah, we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll put an edict out, which is funny to put an edict out announcing you're going to kill a bunch of people because those people got the edict. It's a big announcement. Honey, we got mail. AARP, an edict to murder all of our people. And so everyone's panicked. Mordecai goes to the city gate and puts on a sackcloth and ashes and mourns. He uncomfortable clothes and he stinks and he's mourning out loud on the city wall. And Esther says, like an embarrassed parent, sends out somebody. Says, hey, why do you do that? Stop, 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 stop. What's going on? He says, well, let's read it. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes." When Esther's eunuchs had, uh, and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gates. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised. Haman had said, I will give you a bunch of money so that you can kill these people. And Xerxes says, I'll keep your money. I'll, I'll kill people for free. Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I have been called to go to the king. So I, I'm not all that welcome. It's been a month since my king, my husband, 
has wanted to see me. And if I just meander in there, he will kill me, probably. Uh, And she's got good reason to be afraid. Because the last time, things didn't go just the way the king wanted. The queen ended up dead again. Again, for the first time. The queen ended up dead, and so she says, he doesn't want me in there. It's not a good idea for me to go. Esther here expresses what I would like to call a legitimate fear. Not a a fear of uh, heights or a fear of, these aren't like some, some small phobia. Her life is on the line. Her life is being threatened by what Mordecai is asking her to do. Mordecai is saying, go, go talk to him about this. She says, you know the law. I will die. Legitimate fear. I think we have some legitimate fears. But I think most of the things that we are afraid of are not legitimate fears. Not things actually threatening your life or your livelihood or your family. Where is it the case? I think a lot of times we're overly afraid of things that can do very little harm to us. But Esther has a life or death matter on her hand. And it's not a 50-50 proclamation here. Her chances aren't 50%. Her chances are, are slimmer than that. She is going to knowingly break a law that results in death. And now this is one of those things you could hope for the best, but it doesn't look like it's going to end too well. And she tells Mordecai, you know what would happen to me if I go in there. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. And then his next line is what hits me square in the heart. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I love that he's not just calling her to overcome her fear. Because just a call to overcome fear is not A healthy call. It's not one that's going to push you over the top. What he gives her first is faith. What he expresses first is, listen, we're asking you to do this. And if you don't do it, God will still protect us. Deliverance will still come. We are God's people. We will will survive. Not because we've got it all together. They, They at that time... Did not. They were not an ethical community. They were not a community that followed 
the law. They're the community that when they go back and they find the law, they weep because they haven't been doing it. They're not exactly a group of people who've got it all together when it comes to the relationship with God. But Mordecai knows that God has called them his people and they will survive. They will live. Mordecai says, Esther, whether it's by your hand or not, God will save us. But you've been given a position that allows you an opportunity. And who knows? Maybe you're not all that special in the end. Maybe you're here for what God wants you to do. Maybe your desires and your fears are based on a selfish thought that you've got to stay alive. And he says, you've been put in this place for a reason. Maybe it's this. I love that he doesn't presume to know. That Mordecai says, maybe you've been put in this place just for this. He doesn't say, you know, God spoke to my heart and told me that you've been in this place. He says, perhaps God put you here for this very reason. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. She's scared. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The story of Esther promotes the faithfulness of Mordecai as the salvation of the Jews in the name of God. So they celebrate Purim and they say, Blessed be Mordecai. And they say, Cursed be Haman. Until they can't tell the difference. But their celebration is based on the fact that one man's faith prompted another, a a woman, to overcome her fear. I think that's what church is. In the end, a bunch of people who are afraid being lifted up by a bunch of people who are faithful. And there's not a line drawn separating the fearful and the faithful. The fearful are faithful and the faithful are fearful. They're all similar. There are times when I'm afraid and there's times where I have faith and there's stuff. But rarely, and pay attention, rarely are those times the same. Because fear is rarely driven by faith. And faith is rarely driven by fear. But faith drives out fear. Mordecai, in the end, is playing fast and loose with Esther's life. But only if you would... Only if you think that his faith is going to fail him. He he believes that God will save them. And his concern is not just for him. Notice he says, listen, if you don't do this, God's going to deliver us, but you and your family are going to die. And guess who that counts? That counts Mordecai. 
His concern is for the people of God. And fear will ruin the people of God. And as we have said time and time again, as Paul states over and over again in Scripture, as the Hebrew writer says um, throughout the book of Hebrews, faith will win us salvation as the people of God. It is our faith in God that brings us salvation. I've said this before and mean it. Fear is the opposite of faith. They're adverse to one another. It is, listen, it doesn't mean that there isn't risk. Right? Esther, when Esther overcame her fear using Mordecai's faith and adopted a faith of her own, God's going to handle this. When Esther decided to have faith, she still had an option of dying. Like, Mordecai didn't say, well, because you have faith, everything's going to be okay. Because you're doing the right thing, everything's going to turn out well. That's just not how life works. This story could have easily ended with Esther dying. And Esther knew that. But the difference between fear and faith is not that, that fear, fear causes you, let me rephrase that. The difference between fear and faith is that fear causes you to stay put. And faith asks you to move. Faith is not believing that God can part the waters. Faith is walking through them once he does. And so we have this this opportunity to, to know that Jesus has parted the waters of death for us. So unlike Esther, we know, like, what are they, what's the worst that can happen? Rachel and I say that a lot. We never say, kill me, but we'll say, we've we got to have this conversation, or we've got to talk to this person, or maybe we've got to do this thing, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And Rachel will often say, what are they going to do, punch us? Like, and in the end, most uncomfortable situations that you're in, are going to amount to nothing. Nothing to be afraid of. There's, we are rarely in life or death situations. But fear paralyzes us into circling the wagons and protecting what we already know or we already have. But faith asks us to move into places that make us uncomfortable, that offer some risk, rarely life or death, in the USA that offers some risk and that could end badly. But at least you're not standing still. What is the thing that you've got coming up that you're dreading? I need to talk to that person. I need to have that hard conversation. I need to show mercy when I really don't want to. I need to show love whenever I don't feel like loving that person. What is the thing that you're called to do in faith, but you're afraid to do right now? We all need something in our lives that asks us to have faith. We all need to be doing something that if we fail, if we did not have God in that moment, we would fall on our faces. 
And it's only when we have faith that we can celebrate the victories of God. Fear never throws a party. It's always a pressure. But faith, in faith, we have a victory. And it's only in faith that we find God blessing us to the point of a celebration. Esther could have stayed still and not risked it. No one was going to make her do anything. But it was the faith Mordecai had in God that led her to take a risk. To not let her fear rule her. This, see, this, this, is not a, this is not a message to say, stop being afraid. People are afraid. It's an instinct. You ever been walking to your car late at night from a store and you just feel it and you're like, I'm just going to walk faster. Church I used to work in was much was smaller than this and they had these tiny corridors and I would go up there at night and um, yeah, it was this small of a church. I'd go up and I'd clean the church um, on the Friday or Saturday night and walking through a dark church building is the scariest thing in the world. Every door. But gotta gotta keep walking. I mean, I'm a grown man. I can't go back to the I didn't clean it. I was scared. <laughs> you gotta do the thing. Fear happens. Fear's normal. Worry is an instinct, but it shouldn't rule you. It shouldn't let you make Poor decisions that will leave you with nothing to celebrate. Faith gives us a victory and gives us a celebration of the victory. So be, afra- be afraid, but don't let it whoop you. Don't let it rule you. Of course things could go wrong. Of course things will go wrong. But faith allows us to move and, and be, be effective within fear. It just means I'm not going to let it make my decisions for me. You shouldn't let it make your decisions for you. The way you talk about things, the way you interact with other people, like, I'm just afraid, I'm afraid they might think, okay, well. You'll never get a celebration talking like that. You'll never get to throw that party. You'll never experience the victory when you live in fear. Living by faith is a victorious march toward the calling and the life and the church of God. I think the thing we're most afraid of, right, is messing up. Saying the wrong thing. Not getting it right. Failing. I tried this and I failed. See in that sentence, you see the faith? I tried this. So what about the end? Who cares that you failed? The way you should say that is, I tried this and I sure learned something. So what about failure? 
When I fail, unless it's like rock climbing or something, you rarely die. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't, there's some things you shouldn't have faith in yourself about. But we're called to get over our fear with faith in ourselves, but with faith that God can handle us and can do things through us and for us and with us that they can change lives. God can even take your mistakes and use them. But you've got to be doing things that give you the opportunity to make the mistakes. Fear just sets off in the corner. Faith walks forward. Faith messes up. Faith struggles, faith makes the wrong decisions, but faith keeps walking while fear sits still. Fear doesn't fail, but it don't move either. Be a people of faith this week. Don't, we've, been, we've been given wings to soar like eagles, and we walk around like a bunch of chickens. Faith should push us to do, to act, to move. Who knows? You may have been put in this position for this time such as this. Could be true. If you need the prayers of your church family to have more faith, or you want to for the first time, confess your faith in Jesus being united with him in baptism. If, if you need the church this morning, what I love about this church is you can come forward. We're going to stand up and we're going to sing and you can come forward. But if it's not necessarily me that you want to talk to, you can go sideways or backwards. Just grab somebody who's going to pray with you and hold you accountable the serious decisions and serious risks that you're going to take in the name of your faith in Jesus. Whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and while we sing. Dream,